So last week, or this past week, um, we undecorated the church. Thank you to everyone who helped with that, by the way. And then Monday, Pastor Kay and I are going to put all the stuff, a lot of the stuff back into the room over here. And we go into the room, and we see this beauty right here. And uh, I don't know if any of you helped with Christmas for Kids when we used to do the three Saturdays in December. We used to wheel this thing out there, and we'd play a little movie and, uh, and use this thing. But, you know, I said to Pastor Kay, this, I said, I think, I think it's about time we get rid of this thing. You know, because when, when are we going to use it? Actually, I wanted to do a little test. Let's see. Um, hey, guys, do you know what this is? It is not a DVD player. No. There's like a box thing that you shove in there and it makes a movie. Yeah, it's called, this is called a VCR and that's called a tape. Yeah. Wow. Right? <laughs> Thank you for illustrating the point perfectly. Now, here's the real, I don't, I'm not even going to ask. Do you have any, do you guys have any clue what this is? Any idea? It is. Wow. That was pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's amazing the things that, you know, we used to have this. And I think now, I think you've told me that sometimes when you first started, did you use this some for some of the first projections? Yeah, you know, and, and you would have to get this thing out. You get the slides out there and move it. I mean, and, and it worked. And getting this out here worked. But, man, it's been nice. What a relief the upgrades that we've made have been, right, that we can just plug in and we can project under the screen and the projector's up there and it can take a lot of, a lot of burden off the, the process. If you find yourself sometimes, maybe you uh, are stuck in a bit of technology, maybe you haven't had the upgrade, maybe you've got something at home that, that doesn't work as well. You know, sometimes when we, we know that there's better out there, it can really be frustrating to still have that burden of having to, maybe you're not hauling an overhead projector out or wheeling a cart with a TV on it, but I don't know, maybe you've got an old phone that you're just waiting to die, you know. I accidentally broke my phone on my birthday this year, and Stella's so jealous because I had a reason to get a new one because my old one was my old one was terrible, you know. <laughs> Maybe you, you've experienced that where you felt being kind of stuck. Well, I wonder today, and I want to encourage you to, to wonder today, if some of our greatest frustrations in life and some of the biggest burdens we carry, we carry because we're still doing things an old way. We're following an old system, an old way of living. And I want to encourage you today to, to recognize the freedom that God has given us, the, 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 the weight that has been lifting off, lifted off of us, because Jesus has given us the upgrade that we so desperately need. The lesson we have today is John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Now last week, Pastor Krause preached on actually the first 13 verses of the Gospel of John. and gave us a lot of um, just wonderful information about uh, that section. So I'm not going to go back and revisit that much today. If you weren't here for worship last weekend or weren't able to watch online, I encourage you to, to check out the archive and, and take a look at that. Pastor Krause shared a lot of wonderful uh, 
things there. Just a couple things for us to point out today. One of the big themes in this first section, and it really helps set up the whole book of John, is the theme of light. And the theme of having come out of darkness into light. And for John, when he uses this, this picture of light, it's, it's really it's equivalent to life. And so it's the idea that we've been in darkness, but then God brings us into light. He gives us life. And you can see this emphasis here with the word light occurring over and over again in these first 13 verses. Something else Pastor Krause brought out for us last week was really just the, the detail and all that's just wrapped up in the Gospel of John. There, there's so many things that John does seven times, records seven miracles, seven I am statements, seven specific witnesses. It's a pattern that you see in Revelation. It's a pattern that's significant because it means completeness or perfection. And, and it, just, it brings out one of the incredible things with God's Word that maybe is, is, is more evident in John than in some other places is the fact that, that this Word that we have in front of us is not just a man-made creation. I mean, people wrote it. John wrote it. But it's from God. And when you start to peel back the detail, it's just amazing in the Word. You know, in the Gospel of John, you can understand in a fairly level one way. Like if you go to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, it states very clearly what the Gospel of John is about. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. If you just know that it's for you to have life and to believe Jesus is the Christ, you've got, that's what the Gospel of John's about. And you, that, that's kind of the first layer. But then you can start digging in and there's, oh, there's this, this aspect of it. And then there's this. And you can step back and look at a hole and then you dig and then there's like level three and then level four. And there's so much in the Gospel of John. It's amazing. So if you walk away today and all you remember is, you know what? The Gospel is written so that I might know Jesus is the Christ and have life. Good. That's, that's, that's fantastic. But man, there's so much there that we can dig into. I would encourage you to really chew on. And, and this is one of those lessons today that there's so much there. I don't know if, uh, if we can really, I'm pretty sure we can't really do full justice to it. But by God's spirit, we'll take away from it what he would have us take away from it today. Because there's just so much there for us to, to work through and, and to look at. So as we think about this and we see the detail here, maybe right away here we should have our first upgrade. Sometimes, you know, when we're going through our daily routine and, and you, you know, you maybe try to set aside time to read the Word of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can forget what it is that I'm holding. What a miracle it is that I'm holding the Word of God. You know, to, to remember that this book, one, when we're holding, a book, holding God's Word, I mean, the Old Testament, just thinking, it's been around for, you know, like 3,000 years. That in and of itself is amazing, that you're holding words that have been around for... 3,000 plus years. But also just to realize that when you are reading the Word of God, that is the Word of God, that it is something that comes about that is here because it's supernatural. It is not normal. It is not just somebody's writing. It is the Word of God. When you, when you read the Word of God, you encounter God and you access the power of God. And to really, I mean, if we're going to really see like how powerful God's word is, just look at our lesson. The, describing, the way God describes himself at the beginning of our lesson is by calling himself what? The word. I mean, you think about the word of God, if you have any question if it's really that powerful, I mean, God uses the same title to refer to himself. That's pretty impressive. God does a lot by his word. If you remember when God created the world, what, how did he do it? 
with His Word. And one of the things that we saw in last week's lesson, you go back to verses 1 to, to, to 3, is that it's not just that He spoke words, but it actually describes God's Word as being the one through whom all things were created. So in other words, through God's Word, it's not just that He said something audibly, but you have this, in verses 1 to 3, what does it say? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You actually have this Word that is also God. And if you're scratching one, wait, what? What we're starting to open up into is the reality of what we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Word that was there that was the one who was creating all these things is God the Son. The eternal Son of God who becomes the man, Jesus. What our lesson is talking about the fact that this, this eternal Word, this Son of God, the one who was there at the beginning, the one through whom everything was created, our lesson is describing the fact that in Jesus, this eternal Word of God this powerful, creative Word of God became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And you see that word dwelling, it, it really it brings out the idea of tabernacling among us, which I know tabernacle is not a word we use in our regular language, but a tabernacle is a tent. And that's the idea. It's like pitching a tent. And I, But I put the word on the screen and wanted to bring out the word tabernacle because in the Old Testament, when the people were in the wilderness before they went into the promised land, and even in the first time period that they were in the promised land, do you remember what it is that God had His people meet Him in, the priests meet Him in, that served as the portable temple? It was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where the, the, that, that, that pillar of cloud or that fire would come and it would rest over that most holy place because that was a special place where the presence of God would dwell. And then the priest could go in and, and, and enter into the presence of God. And when the people of Israel saw the presence there and they saw the tabernacle, they knew that the God who brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, who had delivered them, was there in their midst and with them. And what John does here by using this language, by describing Jesus in this way, is saying that this same powerful God, the one who has power over the sea, the one who created it all to begin with, that this God is again dwelling amongst his people, came to dwell amongst his people, but this time instead of a tent, he's in human flesh. He came as a person. And when you see this person, when they've seen this person, Jesus, he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, often when we talk about the Greek words or the Hebrew words, we, we usually just, Pastor Kay and I will just kind of use English words to help, English letters to help you see how to say it. But this week we wanted to show you just a couple of Greek words, just for you to see some of them. And the one that's translated, the one and only here, it's, it's monogene. Uh, and it's one and only is, is, is adequate translation that is emphasizing that he's unique and different from others. But there's a more common translation that might be a bit more accurate that, uh, that was used traditionally. Describe him as the only begotten of the Father. We don't use the word begotten very often, which is again probably part of why they don't use the word here. Uh, but it's describing this eternal relationship of Father-Son that exists between God the Father and God the Son. In Jesus, in the Word made flesh, 
John says, we have seen his glory, the glory, the glory of the, the one and only, that only begotten, the one who has this eternal relationship with the Father. And he came from the Father. When it says from the Father, it literally means from close beside. And it just, it, I, as I thought about that, that literal meaning, it helped me appreciate better that as we think about it, it's not just that God the Father said, hey, go there. But that God the Father and God the Son are close together. That the Son is right there with the Father. And so from close beside the Father, the Son has come into the world and shown us the glory of the Father. From close beside the Father, we have seen the one and only. And we have seen His glory. Now the word glory, and the Greek word there is doxa. So again, showing you the, the, the Greek word there. In the Greek language, that word typically, outside of Scripture, means praise or high opinion. It describes someone who is praised or people have a high opinion of. But one of the things that's interesting about Greek words in the New Testament is that when they write the New Testament, there's, our, there's now at this point been a Greek translation of the Hebrew. And when they've applied some of these Greek words in the Hebrew, because of the context they've applied them in in the Hebrew, they now, when they're used in the New Testament, have some, some flares and some flavors of the Old Testament meanings. So what I mean by that is in the Old Testament, the word that's typically translated glory, so in that Greek translation where they would put the word doxa, it literally means heavy in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it might be heavy. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you say, man, that's a heavy topic, it's important. It weighs, it, there, there's something significant about it. And that word was used in the Old Testament to show that God was significant, to describe the fact that he was full of majesty and he is impressive and powerful, that he is important. And you can see this idea working its way into this verse in the Greek translation because it's not just saying we've seen that people had a high opinion of him. I mean, actually, many of the people didn't. What they've seen... And John says what we've seen in Jesus is the significance, the, the, the power, the majesty of God here in this man, Jesus. He, he, he's, he's showing, he's telling us that when you think about the power of God, when you think about who God is, what we have before us is an opportunity to, to see it in Jesus. We have the opportunity for an upgrade because in Jesus we get to see the beautiful power and glory of God. Excuse me. I missed the slide there. Or I missed the side of the slide there. The reason why it's such an upgrade, the reason why this is such a powerful thing, is because of this lesson that Pastor Krause read from Exodus chapter 24. In the Old Testament, God showed His glory to His people. And if you were to read through this section of Exodus and then read through this section of John, you would sense a lot of familiarity with the way it's written. That's what happened to me this last week. I was reading through Exodus just in my devotional reading, um, partly because I'm still trying to figure out how Jesus going to Nazareth matches with the Exodus account from a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you remember. I threw that out before you. Um, some of you were here, had this question. Um, still trying to figure that out. I was rereading part of Exodus, and... I was going through this section and it had this whole picture of the glory of the Lord settling on the mountain and how the people saw the glory of the Lord and God appeared in this cloud and He looked like a consuming fire. In the Old Testament, there are ways where people got to see the glory of the Lord. And in our lesson, 
it's moving us towards the realization that while they got to see the glory of the Lord in these various ways in the Old Testament, with Jesus, there's an upgrade. With Jesus, in a different way, you get to see the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I've, I've, I've always kind of wanted, like, man, what would it be like to see that cloud on the mountain or to see the fire? Probably terrifying, but I kind of, like, what would it be like, you know? And the way our lesson is, is moving us is moving us to see, okay, you, people, they saw the glory there, but we see, a great, we see a greater glory here in Jesus. Now, why is it greater? It's greater because he came from the Father full of grace and truth. When it says full, it, it means filled to capacity. Jesus is filled all the way up with grace and truth. And this word filled to capacity is actually the word that typically often describes uh, prophecy being fulfilled too, how Jesus fulfills them. Jesus fulfills all the, the, the scriptures of the Old Testament because he is filled up to capacity with grace and truth. And the word grace... Are you probably familiar with that Sunday school definition? What, what if they, in Sunday school, you remember, anyone remember what they would say? What is, what is grace? It's God's undeserved love for people. And that's a great definition. But, you know, there's a reason why he has undeserved love for people. The concept of grace at its root is actually, it's the idea of pleasure or delight or joy. You know why God has undeserved love for people? It's because... It delights him to do so. It's his pleasure to do so. Which just adds another layer of beauty to the concept of grace. I don't, I don't know if anybody in here is also a chick. Is anybody here a Chick-fil-A person? Anybody? No? Yeah? Ruthie's preschool is Eastside Lutheran, which is like a block from Chick-fil-A. It's the only negative to the school is that we just, you were so close to Chick-fil-A, right? One of the things that I just think is really, I don't know if you've ever noticed, when you say thank you at Chick-fil-A, do you know what they say in response? My pleasure. Yeah, I like it. Shari, I can tell, thinks it's kind of quirky, but I like it. Because it's one thing to say you're welcome or no problem, but it's another thing, like, it's my pleasure to serve you. It's God's pleasure to serve you, to love you, to show you his undeserved grace, his undeserved love. And before we even finish this verse, out, I, I want to stop there and, and, and recognize the upgrade that's given us. Because I don't know about you, but man, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm bothering God. You know, and pray, like I know he's got a lot of big things to take care of. Does he really need to take care of this? Or man, especially when I just screw up in these various ways, does he really want to forgive me and love me? You know, sometimes I've even felt like, okay, I know God loves me and I get to spend forever with him, but it just doesn't feel like he likes me very much. I don't know if that ever feels that way for you, but that's how it's felt for me sometimes. And so when I have felt that way, this, I've needed an upgrade. And maybe you do too, to realize that the reason why God has his grace is because God, he just loves to. He just likes, he just enjoys forgiving people. He doesn't enjoy the sin and the hurt, but he loves to forgive you. He loves to serve you. He loves to take care of you. He delights in you. He loves when you ask Him for forgiveness. He loves when you lean on Him and depend on Him. He loves when you speak to Him in prayer. Take hold of that upgrade. Recognize that He, he, he loves, He's full of grace 
He, he delights in you, but also he's full of truth. Yeah, and the word truth in the original language, it's an interesting word. It means not hidden. So in other words, there's nothing concealed here. There's nothing hidden here. It, it, it's, there's, there's, it's all out. This is what actually is. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Which is an interesting word in this section because of the, all the references, the connections to the experience with Moses. In the Old Testament, the people got to see the glory of God in various ways. But at the same time, there was this hiddenness to the glory too. For instance, like Moses is described as being able to talk with God like just like I would talk with you. And at the same time, there's this way in where he was separated from the glory of God. You have this interesting account in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses asked God, show me your, your glory. And God says, you can't. You can't just see my glory. And so he does this interesting thing. He actually moves Moses into this like space on a mountain and covers him until he moves past him so Moses can just see God's backside. I mean, it's an interesting account because there, there's still there's this, this part where you can't quite see the glory of God. Well, with Jesus, we have, he is filled with God's favor, but also that which is not hidden. In Jesus, we see pulled back more of who God is. Which, if you think about it, makes sense. I mean, to see a big, fierce-looking cloud and lightning and stuff, does that show us really who God is? Or does that show us an aspect of God? Power, might. Yeah, well, what really shows us who God is? And Jesus, in a whole new way, shows us who God is. It shows us his favor, his grace, his love. We've had an upgrade when we look at Jesus, when we see him, because we see in a new way who God is, and we see his glory in a new way. And we experience the fact that, that God himself has come for us to rescue us. When we look at Jesus, we need to be prepared to see God himself. In verse 15, uh, the gospel writer John talks about John the Baptist for a moment, which I know can get kind of confusing with the multiple Johns. All four Gospels talk about John the Baptist because John the Baptist had a very important role. He came to prepare the people to meet the Lord. To see that Jesus, when he was coming, wasn't going to, he wasn't just going to be like any other person. He wasn't going to be like any other political uh, leader or anything like that. Jesus, when Jesus comes, be ready to meet the Lord and see what he was going to do. Be ready to meet God and see how he is going to deliver his people. And this is how this deliverance comes. This is what we see in Jesus. We see that in Jesus, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, the phrase one blessing after another is one of the worst translations I've seen in a long time. It really irks me. I kind of want to throw a chair. Just a little bit. <laughs> because it totally skews what this verse is about. It literally says we received grace, and then it says instead of or exchange for grace. I know that's a weird phrase, Bible translators, but it's what it says. So instead of tweaking it, what we got to do is look at it. What does that mean, grace instead of or exchange for grace? 
Well, if you look at these verses, there are two things being set up together here. We have the law, which came through Moses, and we have grace and truth, which came for Jesus, which came through Jesus. So you have the law, you have Moses, and God is saying through John here that he showed his grace when he brought the law through Moses. But then he exchanged it for a different grace, a better grace, a more fulfilled grace in Jesus. Or really, I should say, fulfilled it in Jesus, to a greater extent in Jesus. When God gave his law through Moses, God was showing his grace. And when God came in the person Jesus, he was showing his grace. This is, this is something that's really worthy of stopping and taking note of because sometimes the law of God gets a really bad rap. You know, like God's law, is just, it just beats me down. You know, it's, it's, it's just this bad thing. The law of God is a good, beautiful thing. And Pastor Krause used the example of, of, of rules, like laws when it comes to driving, how they keep us safe. I think of how uh, at our house, we've got a bike path in front of our house, that kind of by the, by the main road, by highway end there. And we have a rule that Ruthie can't go to the other side of the bike path without an adult with her. And the reason why we have that rule is because we love her and don't want her to get hit by people driving way too fast on Highway N, because they always do. You know, we care for her. The law is evidence of love. And for God's people, too, when God gave them the Ten Commandments, He had chosen them to be His set-apart people with this incredible vocation of being a kingdom of priests and kings, a holy nation, to, to be a light to the world, to be the people through whom the Savior would come. The law was a privilege a special calling. God gave the law because he treasured his people. Not to beat up his people. Which I think sometimes gets missed. Like, oh, it's the law of God. But God's word is very clear. The law is a beautiful thing. You read through the Psalms. The Psalm writers talk about delighting in the law of the Lord. You go to the book of Romans chapter 7. Paul actually deals directly with this topic. He talks about, you know, if, if the law, is, is it a bad thing? You go down to verse 12, I highlighted here. The law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We'll talk about some of those other sin comments in a moment. But for the moment, let's recognize the law of God is good and meant to be good. And it comes from a good place. If we look at the law of God and read like, oh, this is just where God wants to beat me over the head again, we need to have an upgraded view of the law of God. We need to recognize that it actually comes from His love and His desire for us, not to beat us up. But why do we fall into that? Why do we miss that the law of God is good? Well, there is an issue. In Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 3, the section Pastor Krause read for us before, spoke to that. It talks about how the law was powerless to do something and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. So the law lays out, okay, this is what God wants for us, this is what's good for us, but there's an issue. As sinful people, we don't follow it. You know, I think of uh, when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. You know what the people did while he was up there? They got impatient and they made a golden calf. While he was up there. He wasn't even back down yet. 
But I mean, how often do we too? I mean, okay, we know God has given us His calling. He wants us to do this. And so quickly we turn and we don't do it. We don't follow it. God has given us an incredible calling to be His people. He's told us what He wants, how He wants us to live and other other people. And so often we've thrown it away or we've chased after other things. We've dug in the dumpster rather than cherishing the treasures of God's Word. And this is something that, if we're honest, we know it. You know, we have this sense like we're supposed to be better than this. You know, we're, you know there's something we want to be and we're just not. There's something we're, we're, we, we, can't, we should be, we're just not there. And it can make us beat ourselves up with guilt. We can feel ashamed. We can wonder if we, oh, can we really be sure we're right with God? Or maybe we don't think about it in those ways, but maybe we're always trying to prove ourselves worthy or good enough or to achieve enough or whatever it is. We have the sense, we know that there's something that we are meant to be and we're not there. And this is where then we come to the part of the law where there's the issue. Okay, God's law is good. But, man, when I see what I was meant to be, when God states it clearly in words, then I realize just how much I do fall short. But then here's the beauty. This is where we get the grace for grace. And Romans 8 helps us understand it. So what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son. So the way it works is that there's what there, there's this with the law that we weren't able to do. We, we, did, we weren't able to live it ourselves. And so what God has done, He said, I'm just going to come and I'm going to do it for you. In Jesus, we see the ultimate person, the perfect person who came to actually walk according to the law the way we were meant to. And this is, sometimes we go right to the cross, but we need to first stop and talk about, there's something we call the active obedience of Jesus. Jesus didn't just die for the things you did wrong. He lived for all those ways that we don't live right. See, Jesus lived the perfect life that we, ne- we don't live so that when he went to the cross, he cannot just take our sins away, but in exchange, give us his perfect life. And when he rose again, he showed not only did he pay for our sins, but he rose to give us a new life, a life connected to his perfect life. When you look again back at these verses from Romans 8, verses 3 to 4, it says that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. See, here's the incredible thing. It's because Jesus came to fulfill the law and do what we never do our, could never do ourselves Now through faith in Him, what we were meant to be, that's how God sees you. The righteous requirements of the law, that's what God sees when He sees you. When you look at yourself as a Christian, what do you see? Do you see someone who falls short or do you see the perfect life of Jesus? Because that's what God sees. God looks at you and He doesn't see somebody who falls short. He doesn't see someone who screwed up again. He sees, He sees His Son. He sees you. He is pleased with you. He sees someone who is in His Son, and so you are empowered by Him, loved by Him, guided by Him. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? If it's anything less than Jesus, you need an upgrade. Because that's what God sees. You are forgiven. You are connected to Him. You are empowered by Him. You are are in Christ. 
When you look in the mirror, make sure you see an upgrade. And know that if you are in Christ, that you are connected to Christ, that means that you are connected to God himself. The last verse of our lesson, it says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We still haven't seen God all of his, his fullness, of his glory. Yeah, there, there's still some limitations as we're here in this world. But in Christ, this God, the God who is so powerful on the mountain, in Christ, this God has become known to us. You get to know this God and are known by this God. Our tendency, and I know this is my tendency, is to go back and to, to dwell here. Man, my sinful, you know, God says that I should be there and I just don't. And so we carry this burden of trying to measure up. But we get to lighten our load and know that this isn't a burden that we have to carry. Because the truth is, there's someone who came full of grace and full of truth. And he carried it for us. He lived it for us. He died on the cross for us. He rose again for us. So we can know him, be connected to him, and be united with him. See, you don't have to try to do anything to make God love you. God loves you, so now you get to move forward and act and live. You don't have to try to measure up. Jesus has measured up for you. He overflows for you. So now you can live from that. You don't have to try to win a victory with God. God has already won the victory. You get to live from victory with God. You get to go about your life and you get, okay, you get to see the law of God differently. Rather than just being something that shows my sin, yes, it does. I repent over that and I know I'm forgiven. But now I get to see that this is where God has called me to step out. And I don't have to step out in fear that if I screw up, I'm going to be a failure. Jesus has already won it for me. I get to step out in the freedom of, let's see what God can do as I move forward in faith. Let's see what he will do as he empowers me by, my, by his spirit. Let's see what he will do as I trust and I see him in his son. You and I, we, we get to, to, to lay off the burden of shame and guilt and of trying to do it our way. We get to live in the freedom of walking with God, seeing God in His Son, and being empowered through that Son. We get the ultimate upgrade. And I mean ultimate upgrade because, I mean, you know, so I, I, I didn't just, by the way, accidentally leave my phone up here or something because, you know, I'm addicted to it or something. I had it up here for a reason. It's one thing to know that, you know what, instead of needing projector and the TV, that, man... I mean, we just got video. We got all this stuff on our phones, right? This is an upgrade. But you know what? There's an even better upgrade. Something that happens when we're at our epic youth ministry and teens, what, when, when we start spending too much time on our phones, what do we do? Phone stack. phone stack, right? Everybody's got to stack their phones in the middle. Why? Because you know what's a whole lot better than being on here and sending Snapchats and checking Instagram and stuff? is seeing people in person. This will never replace right here. God came in a person. God actually comes to you in His Word. He actually has made you His child in baptism. He actually is there in the Lord's Supper. He actually lives inside of you. This isn't just a little bit of an upgrade. This is coming to know God and to be known by God. 
to have him living inside of you, being with you, loving you, treasuring you, empowering you. You and I, we get to lighten our load in the ultimate way. We get to set that aside and we get to embrace what we see in Jesus, the ultimate upgrade.